welcome to the Happy Ramp Podcast. I am Ted Cluck, joined as always in studio by Barnabas Piper and Ronald J. Martin. Boys, we are uh, we are all very busy, and uh, it was very hard to get a time to record this week. So uh, I want to get right into this. I want to make the most of it. Uh, we have one very serious topic and two ha-has. Uh, so, Piper, you have some business to conduct with Dwell Bible, do you not? I do. Dwell is sponsoring this episode and last week's and the coming weeks. So if you're unfamiliar, this is your first time listening, Dwell Bible app. It's an audio Bible app, so it's for listening to Scripture. Um, they've sponsored us before, kind of hooked us up with it, so I've been able to use it. I use it often when I'm getting ready to teach or lead like the men's group at our church just because listening helps it just helps bring out some things in the text I wouldn't have heard otherwise, but they have listening plans. They have multiple narrators. They have musical backgrounds. You can drop in if that helps your experience. Um, and so you can kind of customize it to your needs. So whether you just want to listen 15 minutes a day on your commute or whatever it is, they, they kind of build all that option in. Uh, they also just released a new feature where you can basically select a segment of scripture and listen to it on repeat. They call it dwell mode, which sounds like, mm. you know, it's like powering up or something. So, uh, Like Travis Scott sicko mode. Right. Ex- exactly like that. It's yeah. 100% exactly like that. Um, <laughs> and that, that's ideal for meditation, for memorization. So just hearing it over and over again until you, you know, just like listening to a song, you just start to get the lyrics. Um, and then they have another feature where you can, you can drop in periods of silence after a portion. So if you listen to several verses, you can drop that in instead of just hitting pause or whatever. It's kind of automated for prayer, reflection, whatever it is, or memorization. So you're repeating it back. So over time, they're building in these features to enhance the whole experience. Um, But they have a special deal for our listeners. Um, Their normal subscription is about $3 a month, so it's already really affordable. But they're giving a 33% discount, so knocking a dollar off per month. If you go to dwellapp.io slash happyrant33, so dwellapp.io slash happyrant33, we'll drop it on social media again, we'll put it in the show notes, so if you don't have it uh, readily at hand, you can find it there, but you can get the 33% discount, $2 a month, so you just pay like 20 bucks up front or something like that, and, uh, and you're good to go, and you can check it out. Excellent pipe. I think it's safe to say we're all we're all big Dwell Bible fans in real life. You know, they're more than just a global business partner at this point. They're, yeah, this, uh, they're we have sponsors, a part of our lives. We have sponsors who it's much more of a mercenary deal, and then we have sponsors yeah. whose stuff we use and like much more, and this is definitely one of those. Absolutely. So, boys, I want to get right into this. Um, our first topic, we're going to talk about Joshua Harris um, and in the news that broke about him this last week, but I, I want to set this up with a story and, and maybe this will set the table for us. So, um, in 1998, 99, uh, KK and I had just graduated from undergrad and we were, uh, doing the, the tried and true evangelical thing of putting off, starting our real lives for a year by, uh, teaching in a missionary school. And we happened to be in, in Lithuania and we went to this conference, uh, in Budapest, Hungary for teachers, uh, in international schools, basically Christian schools. And the book I Kiss Dating Goodbye had just dropped. And the majority of people in this conference were homeschool parents. And they were super stoked out of their minds about this book that had been written by this 20-year-old kid who I'd never heard of. And, um, and in fact, the 20-year-old kid's parents were kind of big sort of quote-unquote celebrities in the homeschool movement. And uh, these parents were excited because the book kind of low-key gave them permission to arrange their kids' marriages. 
which which they were really excited about. It gave them more control, and I just kind of made a mental note to like look into this thing when I got back to the states, and then and then by the time we got back, it had become the phenomenon that it became. But um, of course, this is um, part and parcel with the news uh, that that Harris and his wife are are getting separated. Uh, very very sad stuff. Um, I have. I, ideas, I guess. And, and I guess for me, the, the overarching kind of idea is when he was 20, no one should have let him like become a thought leader. Uh, I, I don't know that anyone is ready at 20. And I think, uh, that was probably the wrong move, but it's what happens when there's, uh, an evangelical who's, uh, attractive and articulate and has, you know, the, the germ of an idea that people like, it tends to just kind of spiral out of proportion. So, well, and, um, and in defense, uh, yeah. not, not defending the content of the book, I hated it when it came out and I was in high school and, uh, have not gained fonder feelings for it since, but yeah, same. I don't think that that book was expected to be a phenomenon. I don't think, I don't think he was, I don't think at the time that it was going to be like this is a, a paradigm shifting kind of thing, um, so it the fact that it was I'm sure it made the publisher very happy, but I it probably set him up in a way that nobody was really anticipating. If that makes sense. Now there's a question of should you publish twenty year olds, but um, I I guess that just for context, I don't think it was sort of set up as like did we expect this to be a New York Times bestseller. Yeah, I think you're probably right about that, man. I mean, it's it's hard to it's hard to say, but um, yeah, pipe. I, I guess just like building off of that, what are your what are your thoughts on this? I mean, to me, like anytime somebody's marriage goes on the rocks for any reason, it's it's an occasion for sadness, right? There's no sense of um, yeah. I mean, there, there's just nothing there but sadness. I mean, it's uh, it's a reminder of sin and death in, yeah. in the world and it's an occasion to be sad but I guess for somebody who sort of ma- made his uh, his living as it were in the in the relationship business I mean it does give a there, there's another kind of gradation to this um, that, that makes it worth our our discussion and for those of us who have kids like you know it, it seems like we hit often on the fame thing and the the dangers of that but uh, yeah just speak speak into that a little bit more but yeah I mean obviously for for some listeners probably don't know this, but uh, I got divorced a few years ago and, you know, have written a little bit here and there and been on a couple podcasts, talked about it. But just on a very small scale, being somebody who is a little bit known, a little bit of a public figure and going through that is um, it's challenging to navigate. Let's just put it that way. And sure. to to know how to speak appropriately about what people need to know, who deserves to know what. Um, how to do it in a way that doesn't set up, uh, you know, your, your spouse, your ex-spouse as a villain or drag mm-hmm. kids through the mud or put them in the public eye. Like, there's just a lot of, it's a lot of mess. And aside yeah. from all of the stuff that's going on in the personal life that is just profoundly painful. Um, mm-hmm. and so when I saw this, I mean, my first thought was much more from the personal side than it was like, oh, evangelical leader whatever Mm -hmm. it was Mm -hmm. it was more just the thoughts of what that family is experiencing right now um and i kind of wish more people gravitated towards that thought um because the easiest thing to do is to tie someone's 
uh, personal failures. And I mean, I don't even know where the failure lies here. That's the thing. Like, just yeah. the, mar- the marriage is falling apart. We know that. So something failed. Um, yep. And to tie that to a public persona. Oh, mm-hmm. you know, this, this was probably <clears throat> caused by an unhealthy attachment to purity culture. So they were set up to fail from the very beginning. And those kind of arguments, maybe there's truth in that. Maybe that's complete garbage. Um, maybe something else is going on. Maybe they're, they're, whatever personal spiritual struggles going on in their lives have very little to do with that. I mean, because after all that, he went through the whole mess at Sovereign Grace. That's a yeah. whole other that's a whole other trying experience that that has you know untold consequences, um, yeah. and so it's not fair to look at what somebody has written, spoken about, whatever, and make a a direct line to personal failures. We did the same thing with Tony and Chavijan. Oh, his his kind of loose theology or too 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 open theology about grace is what gave him permission to cheat on his wife. Well, mm. Really? There's a lot of people with bad theology who remain faithful to spouses. So that's not a, like, that's not a, a fair comparison either. And so that, that's kind of where I landed was just, um, trying to separate what is going on in his business, which isn't my business, yeah. um, from the impact positive or negative, I think often negative, that he had with his early writings about relationships. Yeah, for sure. Ron, I want to I want to lean into this with you as a man of the cloth on a on a couple of fronts. I, I guess the the exhortation from James that, you know, not not all of us should be teachers. And I mean, I think we can, you know, we can pretty safely assume that maybe at 20, not any of us should be teachers. So you you could speak to that if you would, but also just the yeah, I mean, the complexity of what Pipe went into of, you know, when a uh, when, when a marriage dies, like it's 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 not good business for any of us to sort of um, immediately speculate or snap to judgment. Like if 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 he were in your flock, like what would you how would you advise him? I mean, I think there's there there's a wrinkle of complexity when, like Pipe said, when the person is public and there was this kind of public announcement sort of. Instagrammable, very like it was very today. You know, it was it was very kind of Hollywood 2019 in the yeah. in the sense that there was a photographer hired and you know uh, a statement kind of crafted with a set jaw about how happy to be moving forward everybody is and and you know like it, it had a very today sort of feel about it. it but, I, uh, I will say about that. Uh, so, yeah. I, know, I know Ron. I want to hear what Ron has to say too. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm offended by that post for one reason, and it is. To put a happy face yeah, on divorce, totally. it it infuriates me. Because I agree, the, the most yeah. amicable divorce is, is still a heartbreak. Is ruinous. It it hurts yeah. so much. And so and so to do that is that feels like playing into culture's hands where it's like, you know, we're divorced and we're still gonna be friends and whatever. Like that's a worse I mean, worst case scenario is y- you drag your kids through the courts and there's custody fights and you lose all your money and everybody hates everybody but like life is not that much better when it's amicable and so that feels that feels disingenuous to me and it feels like it gives people permission to to kind of be okay with this 
with, with the reality of divorce. I'm not talking about their particular situation. Just be okay with the reality of this thing that, that sucks. Yeah. So that, yeah. that really, it's normal now, but it, it's just, it's so, so stupid. Yeah. Big R, what are your thoughts, baby? Yeah, man, it's, I agree, you know, with both of you guys, I, the complexities of it are, you know, immense. I, I think something just to, just to, to trail on what Pipe just said, I, one of the interesting things, yeah, I thought the, the way he, the way he presented it to everybody publicly was odd. Yeah. Um, and I think what that, it kind of leads back to what you said a little bit T, which is the fact that. When you're in, you know, when you have a public platform like Harris has had, and granted, he's been kind of, he's he's been kind of off the charts now for a few years ever since he left Sovereign Grace, but at the same time, you know, he's still a public figure, and there's a sense where he has to almost worry more about um, the reception to this news publicly than he does maybe even like the impact it's going to have, you know, on his family and you know on his inner circle, his extended family, and. And, and all of those different, you know, all those different pieces that kind of come together around the whole thing. So to, to have to, to think that you're in a place where you have to present this thing publicly, which you, you might need to do that, but to do it in a way that, like Piper said, that has to paint a particular face on it, because behind that, there's a worry. There's a worry to how this is going to be received. There's a worry to how all the comments or, you know, what kind of comments are going to surface. And by the way, if you've read the comments, I mean, they're just like you would think these comments would be. You know, they're all over the map um, from I'm so sorry to um, I remember one of the initial comments I read was brave. Josh, you are so brave mm-hmm. um, to uh, all the way to, you know, just this you get this sort of this gleeful tone from people that says, you know, this book was so horrible. It was so damaging. It serves you right. Um, that this is happening in your life. So again, you, you get these comments, right? That again, you know, he knows they're coming. He he could probably he probably could have told you, you know, he all could have the written them ahead of time. He could have written yeah. them ahead of time. <laughs> exactly. And um, so it's it's just I don't know. It's on that level alone, given who he is, the fact that he knew this was going to come out. So he tried to get ahead of it, understanding, you know, with the ramifications. And the kind of hits he was going to take, it just to me that adds a layer of complexity to it. That for even us right now, um, it, it's hard to know how to weed through that, and it's hard to know, like it's it's hard to even know how to approach it in a way that doesn't lack sensitivity, but at the same time to step back and go like, man, what have we gotten ourselves into right now with this particular culture that we find ourselves immersed in? That something of this nature then has like. If it's not complex enough, it has so many more layers of complexity. Um, and then after after a minute of it, we're not even talking about people anymore. We're, we're talking about the thing, right? We're talking about the thing behind the thing behind the thing. We're not talking about his wife. We're not talking about his kids. We're not talking about sort of the impact that this is having. We've kind of yeah. like, we start to dehumanize it is what I'm trying mm-hmm. to say. Here. Well, and I, I, I think that's a function of the moment we're in, in that like, if he had gotten divorced in 1985, this would have happened within uh, him, his wife, his kids, his immediate and extended family, and then maybe two or three like trusted people in the church, right? It would have been very sort of uh, I, I, in-house is the wrong word, but it would have been more in-house, which is how people used to deal with divorces you know, in, in the old days. I mean, I, I guess I wonder like – 
why there has to be an Instagram post. Um, well, yeah, I, it, it, it raises the question of like, who, who do we owe what to? Who do we owe what to? And I mean, what, the book and, is... And kind of who have we lived for in, yeah. in, the, in the public space? So yes, the internet has magnified people's presence dramatically, but it hasn't magnified their like vested presence. You know, the ones yeah. that really yeah. matter. That That's circle right. has not grown over the years. Like you still only have eight friends or four friends and family and the people yep. who... You know, the people who can call you on things when you're wrong, the people who you go to when you're broken, like that, that circle has not changed since eternity. And, yeah. but our access to people has, and we confuse access for owing, I think. And I mean, I really wrestled with this when I went through my stuff was like, should I say anything online about this? Mm-hmm. The, the, the reason that I chose to, and it was, you know, I tried to do it a little differently than this. Uh, yeah. And I don't know if I did it right, but um, was if people look to you with trust, they trust your voice, they trust your message, they trust your your influence, and I mean that in like genuine influence, not yeah, like Instagram for sure. influence. For sure. Then you you do owe them something. Yeah. Because if they find out later something that happened and there was no explanation, no mention, it seems dishonest. It seems like something was yeah. hidden. And they're um, just going to speculate wildly anyway. Right. And, you know, saying something opens up yourself to wild speculation, and so be sure. it. Um, I, I personally was m- really more blown away by how gracious people were in response. But um, mm-hmm. I also haven't written a book that made people that angry. Um, so I think there is an owing of something, but not to the degree that it generally gets taken where like we have to make an announcement about or you know we have to PR the announcement as opposed yeah. to letting those people who matter know in the most meaningful way. Well, and I think that's a great point, Pipe, because because of the because of the way, because of the manner in which he unleashed this to the public, we are now talking about this on our pod. So it's like and, and because we had so little information, and I don't think we deserve more information, certainly I'm not saying that on any level, um, you know, even though we're part of the body of Christ, I, you know, I mean, these are personal things. Um, and again, people can have wildly different opinions about all of that. But at the same time, I don't, I don't feel like we deserve any more information than he is willing to give about the situation. But at the same time, the minute it goes public, you open it up to all kinds of speculation and all kinds of comments and all kinds of what I would call you know, unhealthy chatter about it. Mm-hmm. And um, so, again, it goes back to that idea that um, what what is it? What is it? In, and, I, and I appreciate what you just said about what how you felt about why you needed to in the way that you went public with it, why you did it. I think. I, you know, I don't disagree with that on any level, but it does kind of open up this, um, it does open up kind of a forum for us to say, like, should we be talking about Josh Harris's divorce right now? Yeah, I mean, I, well, I think, I, go ahead, I, I don't think we should if we are talking about his personal business. If we're talking about how Christian leaders handle things, handle private things in a public space, you know, maybe we can have a useful conversation. If we are falling into the trap of speculation, of judgment, of the 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 thing that that we don't have any right, like that's there's a private circle of people who should be involved in that. And we are definitively not in it. You know, then that's not a conversation we should have. So, I don't want to make any moral statements about him or his family. I don't want to cast any judgment. Uh, I don't I don't want to speculate. 
But if it's a question of impact on the greater church, a question of who owes what information to whom, how leaders do it, I think, I think there is room for it. Um, as, yeah. But I mean, we talked about it just very briefly before I got on there. Like, we want to handle it well, and we don't want to be part of the voices that are piling on. Yeah, for sure. No, I totally, I totally agree with that. But I think it's worth asking the question because, again, I think like what you said, T. Um, it's, we live in such an interesting time where, man, our, our, our sin or our struggles or our breakdowns, I mean, they are, they are as exposed as we allow them to be. And even if we don't allow them to be, somebody else will allow them to be. Right. And it's like, it's such a strange and interesting time. And again, we're, we're dealing with a subculture now. It, it, it's not Hollywood, right? So if, if Harris was part of Hollywood, this thing would be breaking on all these different, like, you know, news outlets and, you know, press releases and all these kinds of things. But in our own way, it, it still is, right? Yeah. And I, th- it, I think even in a broader way, like I read an article on Slate.com about it, which is the ultimate like, wow. sort of like – you know, smug leftist, like cult- cultural elite blog, or at least it used to be, you know, the person um, who wrote that is a, is a religion journalist who I think is distantly related to Billy Graham. So, I mean, there's, mm-hmm. she, she has, she has roots in the evangelical camp, but yeah, like there's the evangelical big news has started to spill into the mainstream big news. Yeah. And so one of the, one of the implications about this, and I, I want to hear you speak to this big R is that, you know, they're in in some outlets or in some comments. There's this kind of breathless, excited, like, "Look, I I knew purity culture was bad, and I I knew like um, abstinence from sex before marriage was bad." And see, look, this is proof it didn't work. So I think there's this conflating of purity culture with what the Bible actually teaches about sexuality. Um, that that people who are looking to to shoot holes in what we believe are are kind of you know, gleefully pointing out right now. So that's, you know, that, that's yet another kind of sad implication of this. And, and isn't this a moment where like, to me, it seems so big and so sad, like you really, you really do lean on sovereignty in these moments and you really do ask the Lord to like redeem the years that the locusts have eaten in terms of, you know, the kid writes the book at 20, his parents let him do it. Um, the industry picks it up. Nobody has any idea how, how sort of on one hand worshipful, but on the other hand vitriolic the response to the book is going to be. Um, and then, you know, 20 years down the road and marriage ends and everybody wants to talk about it again. I mean, nobody nobody yeah. could have predicted any of these kind of moves happening, um, you know, 25 years ago or whatever when it came out. But um, Well, yeah, I mean, since when does, you know, since when do our theological positions prevent, you know, things from breaking? You know, it, yeah. it's like... I mean, it, it, it's talk about a false dichotomy, you know, so this guy writes this, this book on purity culture and his marriage ends literally 22 years later, however yeah. long it's been, you know, dude's in his forties now. Um, like seriously, what, what does that, um, what does that have to do with, with a book he wrote about, you know, kissing, dating goodbye back in 98 or whenever that was, you know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. funny how, it, but I mean, obviously, the, obviously that's what's going to come out of this. But again, that's yeah, a, I feel like it's another symptom of, um, it's, it's an interesting thing. It's an interesting thing for people to sort of get, you know, to, to, to gather a bunch of vitriol around, you know, in terms of yeah. like, man, this guy, this guy wrote this book and now look at him. It's like, yeah. well, I mean, why don't we go back to night? I'll tell you some things I said in 1998 that have broken. <laughs> my life. I mean, 
1998, I was in my 20s in 1998. Um, man, I, I, I don't even want to talk about half the things I said in 1998 that if you looked yeah. at my life now, you would see brokenness. But you'd also see some healing in. And yeah. Um, yeah. But I certainly wouldn't want to be judged on something that I said in my 20s um, and to be able to look at my life now and say, well, it, you, uh, you're, you know, you're, it's hypocrisy, you know, and it's. Well, and, and he has come out very publicly in recent years and recanted might be a little strong. Yeah. But it certainly acknowledged with clarity where he kind of overstepped, was wrong, some of the harm that was done, how people have taken that, the message of that book too far. And basically said he wishes he hadn't written it. And yeah. so there's that has already been said. And yeah. I'm assuming that that came from – I don't – that that wasn't a flippant thing. That that came from some wrestling, observing, listening, hearing how people have responded and going, ah, I – you know, there's a growth process there, maturing, uh, realizing that things you say when you're 21 sound like – sound really idiotic 20 years later. And I mean – Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Pat. So I just, I think, I think, again, to to tie the forty-something-year-old man to the twenty-one-year-old man's words, like he can't take those words back, but he has, a, he has said more or less recanted slash repented of it in some ways. Yeah. Can we yeah. can we go so far though to say I love and again we we're in a we're, we live in a culture and in a society where everything is polar, right? So we can't even, you know, I mean, we can't even go so far as to say that something good came out of that book for somebody at some point, sometime. You know what I mean? It's like we have to just we have to just condemn that book, even though we might disagree with its premise. But I mean, th- that book had to have had at least maybe a some kind of an impact in terms of, you know, a, a helpful or positive impact on somebody. I mean, I mean, can we can we go so far to say that that maybe maybe it had that effect on some people without just just completely saying it was worthless. He has to completely disassociate himself with it. It was just heresy through and through. And nothing well, isn't, that, came isn't that what we do today, though? Like something has to be the worst or the well, best. Well, that's what I'm saying. Are we right? are we really saying that? Does, I mean, is it so embarrassing to him that he can say, no, actually, this this was helpful in some ways, you know, to some people that embraced it in a healthy way and didn't go too far with it? Because yeah. you can go too far with it on either side, right? Mm-hmm. Saying it's worth nothing or it's worth everything, and I'm staking my life and my purity on it. Well, and that's what's happening with this this vitriol towards purity culture now. And I mean, I I grew up in the era of of purity culture, so you know, I kiss dating goodbye and true love waits, and it was essentially sort of a, an evangelical sexual shame culture. You know, like mm-hmm. once you lose sexual purity, virginity, whatever, you never get it back. You're ruined forever, etc. There there was a lot of that. Um, culture, and this book was used by people to feed that message. I don't, you know, and I'm certain that it did some good for some people. You, you know, you don't sell however many millions of copies and harm however many millions of people, unless it's like, you know, a book by Hitler or something. Um, and so <laughs> it, it, it had to do some good, but people's backlash to the purity culture now is now like every baby is being thrown out with every ounce of bathwater. Yes. There, there is zero retention of these aspects of it were beneficial. These expressions of it were harmful because purity yeah, culture no, was trying sure. to uphold a biblical fair. ethic that's of fair. like sex should happen in marriage. That's how it's, that's how God designed it. Yeah. That's a good thing. That's what the Bible says, except that it and was boys, expressed badly. 
And can we just remind each other that at the end of the day, Jesus wants the rose. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody had to say it. I mean, Wait, what's, what's that from? It's a Matt, Matty Chan. It's probably Matt Chandler's most viewed YouTube clip ever. Yeah, you guys, I don't know anything. You've got to explain some of these jokes to explain me. Explain it, Pipe. All right, so it was a, I don't mean, he probably gave the message more than once, but I, I saw him do it at the Desiring God Pastors Conference in, I don't know, 2008 or something like that. And uh, he just, he tells a story like about his first one, huh, Pipe? Like, it was, that yeah, it was, it was, he was young. He was young enough that he was still, uh, he was still wearing like sweaters and collared shirts and kind of trying to look like uh-huh. a grown up. Um, uh huh. And so it's this whole story about when he was in college, he and roommates, met their neighbor who was a young single mom, tried to share Jesus with her, just be a good, godly set of neighbors for her, took her to Uh a church event so that she could hear the gospel, and it turns out the speaker was going to talk on sex. And so he begins the message by pulling out, you know, a long stem rose and throwing it out into the crowd. And he's like, just pass this around, everybody, you know, touch it, feel it, smell it. And then he goes on with his message, which Chandler says was the single worst message on sex he's ever heard. While he's just like cringing next to this twenty-something single mom, yeah. And then at the end of the message, the guy, uh, the guy asks, like, "Who has the rose? Bring it back up here." And it comes up, and it, it's all wilted and and falling apart. And and he, the guy, just holds it up and goes, "Now, who would want this? You know, oh. this is you if you give away your sexuality." Right. And the 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 kind of apex of the video was Chandler saying, "I just wanted." to stand up and scream, Jesus wants the rose. And, uh-huh. you know, that's, that's the, the thing. But that's a pretty good encapsulation of, of, like, where purity culture went wrong. It was like, who would yeah. want this thing? Yeah, for you, sure. You know what I take away from that story, too? I bet those guys were actually the worst neighbors. I mean, four <laughs> college guys. That, that, that lady probably knew before she went to any church service that these guys were going to be the worst neighbors. <laughs> yeah, they were going to be really earnest, you know, at the same time. Yeah, like really, uh, really well-intentioned, loud, yeah. smelly people. Well-intentioned, yeah, loud, smelly, gross, uh, earnest college dudes. Exactly the types that we know very well. Um, Ronald, I know we got to get you out of here for a phone call, baby. You're a busy man. And uh, Pipe, do you have anything else to add to this before we uh, before we call this episode a wrap? Um, no, I mean, not. I don't have any great closing words. I think I just yeah. the. These situations are going to keep happening because yeah. because people keep falling and failing and sin happens and I just I I would encourage the listeners to be willing to live in the place of I don't really know what's going on. You know, that yeah. sort of weird middle tension as opposed to the polarizing, oh this is because of this or yeah. this must mean this or this must have happened where you jump to a conclusion and you live comfortably in a stupid in a stupid place. Like we yeah, just I, need to live wisely in an uncomfortable place, not comfortably in an idiotic place. Yeah, well said, man. Really well said. I, I, I guess to me, like, it's astonishing that Joshua Harris still wants to have any kind of a public life. Like, to to me, I would have been on a tractor or like working in a factory a decade ago. Going, you know, I, w- I want nothing more to do with the internet or people's comments. So, I mean, on one level, it is, um, I guess. Some some kind of courageous that this guy still wants a public life. I can't relate to it, but um, but yeah, very, very sad stuff. And I, I appreciate both of your comments on it. I mean, I, I think um, that whole book popped when we were all at relatively 
uh, young, impressionable ages. So, you know, we were all impacted by it at, at one level or another. So, uh, yeah, I appreciate the thoughts, boys. And uh, we, we have done what we often do on this program in that we have wandered to and fro throughout this topic. And until next time. The Happy Rant is brought to you by Resonate Recordings. If you go to ResonateRecordings.com, you can see the full range of services they offer. So if you're considering starting a podcast, they are the ones we recommend going with. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see their prices, to connect with them and ask any questions, and to see what they can do to help you launch, edit, master, and improve your podcast. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see what they can do to help you launch and improve your podcast.